0: Okay, let's start the mission. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 15 or 16. I'm not sure. I think it might be... Sixteen. I'll find that out for sure and let you know. Anyway, this is the Real Spies, Real Lives podcast. I'm your host, espionage author P.A. Duncan. And for the last several weeks, I've been reading from my upcoming release, Welcome to Belgrade, which is book one of a series entitled Self-Inflicted Wounds, And it's about the year 2000 in Yugoslavia, what was then Yugoslavia. Yugoslavia no longer exists. It's broken up into several different countries. Bosnia-Herzegovina, Serbia, Montenegro, and several others. Today I'm going to be reading toward the end of Welcome to Belgrade, where our two stalwart spies, Mai and Alexei, have identified some suspects in the political murders that have been happening in Belgrade and in the countryside of Yugoslavia. And it's not exactly who they expected. They expected it to be one of the iterations of the Yugoslavian or the Serbian secret police. But they've come to suspect that it might be mercenaries in the hire of someone, and they've gotten a lead to where they might be able to find these mercenaries. And it's a men-only club in Belgrade called White Knights. Alexei has gone and made contact there. He's developed a flirting relationship with a waitress and finds out about this group of Russians who to him are obviously soldiers deserted from the Russian army who've been in Belgrade for the past several weeks and always come there and spend a lot of money and drink a lot of vodka. So he decides after a few days of making his, or a few nights rather, because he only goes there at nights, it's only open at nights, he decides he's going to make an overture to them. So he sends them a bottle of very expensive vodka, but he leaves. He wants to build some suspense. And we're going to pick up at the night when he comes back after they've had the vodka And he's going to engage with these Russians for the purpose of perhaps convincing them that he needs to be a part of their work in Belgrade. Let's get started with another chapter from Welcome to Belgrade. And I hope you enjoy. Thanks for listening. Chapter 27 Rodina A couple of blocks away and from inside another leased Mercedes, Alexei watched a BMW arrive and park near White Knight's entrance. The same three men from the previous night emerged and went inside the club. He waited ten minutes and left the Mercedes, strolling toward the club himself. Without breaking stride, his hand brushed the BMW's taillight and left a small tracking device there. At the club's entrance, the bouncer nodded to him and held open the door. Alexei pressed 50 marks into the man's palm as he passed. He made for his usual table and saw Irina doing a table dance for another customer. She smiled at him, a real smile. Wonderful, he thought a topless waitress, was happier to see him than his own wife was. He winked at Irina and took a seat at his table, deliberately not looking toward the Russians. Irina's gyrations were excuse enough not to acknowledge them yet. Irina finished her dance and went to the bar, where she dabbed her neck and breasts with a towel. She picked up a tray with an open Heineken and headed directly for Alexei, Eyes only on him. He gave her ten marks and waved off the change. How did my friends like the vodka? He asked. They were pleased, but somewhat disappointed you left before they could thank you, she said. She edged closer to him, smiling again. Anything else? Alexei returned the smile. Not right now. Spasiva. She flushed gave him an expression he read as disappointment, and responded to a call from another table. Alexei continued to watch her, to emphasize to the Russians she was his reason to be there, not because of them. His beer half gone, he glanced at last at the Russians' table. The three had watched him since his arrival, and the oldest of the three, a thick, burly man, raised his glass of beer in a toast. Alexei nodded and did the same with his bottle. The burly man stood with his glass still in hand and moved around tables and waitresses to Alexei. Thank you for the vodka, old veteran, the man said. Alexei had assessed him as he'd made his way to the table. Lots of Asian in him, a heavy five o'clock shadow. Everything about him was thick, neck forearms, thighs, calves, all straining against the seams of his expensive suit, in which he managed to look uncomfortable. The jacket barely concealed the right cross-draw sidearm holstered at his waist, and his height and build fit Mai's description of the shooter in the cemetery. You're welcome, comrade, Alexei said. I hope it was satisfactory. An excellent choice. I am Anatoly Borisovitch. Alexey Nikolayevich. Too bad you didn't stay and share the vodka. Why did you leave? Alexei smiled, laying a hand on his crotch. The talented Irina left me in quite a painful state. Anatoly smiled, showing teeth so perfect and white Alexei figured them for recently purchased dentures. A practical man who used his blood money for necessities. That Irina is a cold bitch to everyone except you, Anatoly said. I tipwell." well. Anatoly laughed at that and nodded toward the table where his companion sat. Join us and we will talk old times. His tone was part request, part demand, that of an NCO, not yet fully accustomed to civilian life. I'd be happy to, Alexei replied. He stood taking up his unfinished Heineken, though he caught Irina's eye for a refill. His overcoat on his arm, he followed the human fireplug to the other table. Anatoly introduced Vanya, a tall man with a perpetual scowl, in Volodya, Ivan, and Vladimir, likely former privates or corporals and not so deserving of formality. Alexei introduced himself formally, and no one moved to shake hands. However, Anatoly did pull out a chair for him. Alexei draped his coat over the back and sat. He raised his bottle, and the others lifted their glasses. Two old veterans, old and new, he said, and they drank. To Rodina, Anatoly said. They drank again. They all raised their glasses once more, the third toast unspoken, and drank. Alexei pointed to a scar along Vanya's jaw and a jagged, puckered one not quite covered by Volodya's hair. Chechnya? he asked. Vanya spat on the floor. A hell hole of filthy pigs who walk on two legs. Volodya nodded, slapping a hand on the table. Alexei looked closer and saw another scar on the man's throat, mostly hidden by his shirt collar. He suspected Volodya couldn't speak. Volodya has a steel plate in his head, Anatoly said, pride flashing in his eyes. Plays hell with airport security, eh, Volodya? Volodya grinned and again smacked his hand on the table. How about you? Vanya asked, squinting at Alexei. Where did you serve? The narrowed eyes and challenging tone Alexei ignored. He smiled and said, An adviser in Vietnam and three tours in Afghanistan. I'd show you my scars, but the clientele here aren't interested in seeing me disrobe. And Natalie and Volodya laughed, but Vanya said nothing. Those are both old conflicts, probably not meaningful to any of you, but Rodina has no complaints about my service, Alexei said. Now, I was 13 when Afghanistan started, and Natalie said. I got in a short tour at the end. Vanya's scowl twisted to a smirk, and Natalie complains all the time Afghan vets get no respect. Some of that is true. Alexei said. Like American vets of Vietnam, Anatoly said. A lot of forgotten heroes, Alexei replied. My younger brother was killed in Afghanistan, but my mother could only say it was a training accident. She got his medals, but she couldn't honor his sacrifice on his grave marker. Alexei's bitterness was authentic. That part of the story was true. "'His name and rank?' Anatoly asked. "'Sergeant Sergey Andreevich Nevansky.' "'Anatoly held up his glass. "'To the memory of Sergeant Nevansky, hero of Afghanistan.' "'They touched drinking vessels and drank. "'Irina brought Alexei a fresh Heineken, "'and Anatoly insisted upon paying for it. "'He waited for his change, and she stalked away.' Vanya crossed his arms on the table and leaned toward Alexey, Eyes narrowed even more. You are Alexey Nikolaevich, but your brother is Sergey Andreevich? How can that be? Different fathers, same mother. My father was a sniper in Stalingrad in the Great Patriotic War, and he died there. I never knew him. I was born after the siege, lifted. My mother remarried a prick. Vanya continued to stare. Either he was suspicious or an insolent youth. But Alexei decided it was time he started asking questions. What uh, brings you to Belgrade? Alexei asked. Business, Anatoly replied with a quickness that was suspicious in itself. Our boss is in construction uh, here, helping to rebuild damaged parts of Belgrade. We have had a few well-paying contracts. Volodya and Vanya exchanged a smile. "'And you?' Vanya asked. "'Business as well. I am an investment banker. "'Your boss and I should meet. "'Perhaps I can help both him and the Serbs with financing.' Anatoly looked away and signaled the table's waitress. He said, "'He has financing, plenty of it.' A lost opportunity.' "'I'd certainly like working with fellow countrymen. "'Dealing with Western Europeans can be tiresome.'" "'Too many Jews,' Vanya said. "'How did a grunt soldier become a banker?' Alexei smiled and replied, "'I had the luck to meet a wealthy woman "'who was not so tiresome. "'She liked my uh, assets so well. "'She married me and set me up in business. "'True love, of course.'" Anatoly laughed and slapped him on the back. The best kind of true love, does she have sisters? No, but, you know, she has a bit of a drug problem. I think it might not be a surprise if I suddenly became a grieving widower with more money than I could dream of for investment opportunities. More laughter, more Volodya slapping the table, and more toasting. While they dealt with paying the waitress, Alexei studied them, mindful of Vanya's constant scrutiny of him. The fact Anatoly was armed and threw money around told him they were anything except construction workers. They picked up their conversation about wars, about Belgrade, about things in Russia. Vanya made remarks to the waitresses that bordered on pornographic. But the waitress for this table was more outgoing than Irina. She teased and flirted with Volodya, who blushed but seemed eager for her attention. Alexei bought a table dance from her and another round of drinks, even as Irina brought him another beer and a displeased glare remarkably similar to Mai's. As he gave her the money, he held onto her hand. It's nothing, he murmured, much the same thing he'd told Mai. Her fleeting smile appeared, and she relaxed as she walked away. After another round of drinks, they sang old Russian songs, even a few out-of-favor Soviet ones, joined by other Russians around the club. The waitress sat on Volodya's lap and wriggled her ass against his crotch. Gentlemen, your friend has a distress that I can take care of for only 100 marks for a blowjob, 400 for fucking. Between Anatoly and Alexei, they came up with the 400, and the waitress led Volodya away. He'll never get it up, Vanya said, touching his head. He's too fucked up up here. You wasted your money. We'll see, Alexei said. She has a generous mouth. Anatoly laughed loud and long at that. When Volodya returned a half-hour later, Alexei congratulated him on his prowess, and Vanya rolled his eyes. And and Volodya knocked back drink after drink, while Alexei and Vanya sipped theirs. They exchanged a glance of understanding, excepting each was keeping an eye on the other. When Volodya and Vanya bought another table dance, Alexei decided to test how much trust he'd built with Anatoly. He leaned toward Anatoly and murmured, Tolia, let's talk some business away from the Hyerthelp. Anatoly was the one to narrow his eyes this time, but he rose, motioning the other two to stay put. Alexei followed the man's unsteady gait to the bar. While Anatoly negotiated with the bartender manager, Alexei glanced back at the Russian's table. Vanya didn't watch the dancing waitress at their table. He watched Alexei instead. Irina walked toward him, blocking his view of Vanya for a moment. She grasped his right hand, palming something into it, and continued on her way. He waited until she was across the room to look into his hand a plain white business card with her name and address. He flipped it over and read, In case you need anything when I'm off work. He slipped the card into a trouser pocket, reminding himself to get rid of it before he saw Mai again. If all went well in the next few minutes, he'd have no need to return here. Anatoly motioned Alexei to follow him down a corridor to the left of the bar, The noise from the main area receded, and Anatoly spoke over his shoulder. Pyotr, there is letting us use his office for privacy, yes? The office was utilitarian, a desk and a few file cabinets. Alexei looked around for security cameras and saw none. Eyes bleary from all the beer he'd consumed, Anatoly belched and asked, "'What business do you want to discuss?' Alexei moved until he was beyond Anatoly's reach, putting Pyotr's metal desk between them. He unbuttoned his jacket to give him easier access to his gun. I have heard there are some Russians in Belgrade doing work for the government, Alexei said. Anatoly would have been a good poker player, not a muscle twitched. I told you we are working to rebuild what NATO destroyed in the bombing. I have heard of other, more personal work. Anatoly said nothing. You and your friends are not construction workers, Alexei said. Tholia, I'm not SVR or FSB, and I could care less about how many Serbs you kill. I want in. I make a lot of money with my investments. I'm good at it, but it does nothing for the adrenaline. It's a different kind of hunt. An unsatisfying one. Understand? Anatoly gave a brief nod. You miss the old life. You have certain talents and desires. Alexei's grin was wolfish. I'm from the steppe. Now and then... I need warm blood on my hands. I'm fit, in good shape. My skills are undiminished. I am convinced, comrade, but I do not have the final say. That is for the boss to decide. Take me to him. Have him give me a test. Alexei stopped there. That was enough desperation. And if he says no? Anatoly asked. You have my word on my silence. The two men shook hands. Come on, Anatoly said. Let's go round up the other two before they're too drunk. Once Anatoly and the stranger disappeared down the corridor, Vanya stood up. I'm going to piss, he told Volodya, and headed for the toilets. In the dark hallway, he brought out his mobile phone and dialed. Allo? came the reply after one ring. He made contact, Banya said. His name is Alexei Nikolaevich, like you said. He's talking with Tolya now. All right. He probably came in his own car. Insist he bring it, and you ride with him to show him the way. You know what to do, da? Of course. Take his wallet, watch, gun, and holster. He may or may not have a necklace with two medals on it. If he does... Take that, too. It will be done as you say. Vanya hung up and returned to the table. Chapter 28 Self-Inflicted Wounds Not long after Alexei left for white knights, Mai gathered her cameras and recorders, intending to cover the night's demonstrations She pulled out her mobile to call a cab, but it rang. She recognized Rinovacic's number. Good evening, Commander, she answered. What can I do for you? I'm in a police car. I'm on my way to pick you up. What have I done? You? Nothing. Well, unless you want to tell me what you have done. Absolutely nothing the Belgrade police need to know about, I assure you. Okay, someone did a drive-by on Jovan Ivanovsky's house an hour ago. Jovan Ivanovsky was a prominent opposition leader, a Montenegrin, and Milosevic's security forces had already tried to kill him a couple of times without success. How bad? Mai asked. I'm headed to the neighborhood to find out. I thought you and your partner might want to accompany me. My, uh, partner is not available. Would I be going with you in my capacity as an FSB observer? Of course. I know Ivanovsky is far from being an associate of Milosevic, and this may be completely unrelated to your, uh, work here, Rinovich said. And it wouldn't hurt to look into it, Mai replied. It could be a ruse to throw us off track. You're on your way here. That was a bit of a bluff. I have no idea where in Belgrade you are. Mai gave him the address. Fifteen minutes, he said, and hung up. Mai assumed she'd be gone the whole night. She could let Alexei wonder a little payback for his infatuation with white knights. No, she was making too much of that. Or she wasn't making enough of it. Undecided, she wrote him a note and left it on the kitchen table where he'd see it. One of his policemen drove Rinovich's official car with Maia in the back seat with him. There was the usual small talk, but she seemed distracted about something and closed-mouthed about where her partner was. A roadblock stopped them a few blocks away from Ivanovsky's residence, and Rinovich recognized the commander of the Mladenovac police. A roadblock stopped them a few blocks away from Ivanovsky's residence, and Rinovich recognized the commander of the Mladenovac police, his subordinate, since this municipality came under Belgrade's jurisdiction. When Rinovich emerged from his car, the lesser commander drew up to attention and saluted smartly, Rinovich returned it and realized Maia had climbed from the car and stood at his side. "'Sir,' said the commander, his eyes straying to Maia. He frowned a bit, probably wondering if he should salute her, too. "'This is a comrade from Moscow,' Renovich said. "'From the FSB. An observer.' The commander nodded. "'Yes, sir. Uh, of course.' "'To Mai,' he said. "'Welcome, comrade.' Vla, bam, Mai replied. Her Serbian was good, if a bit formal, but at least she'd taken the care to learn the language. Sir, said the commander, where would you like to proceed first? To the morgue or hospital, wherever Ivanovski is, Ranovicic said. Ah, sir, well, it was a superficial wound, one I'm not entirely convinced wasn't self-inflicted. He is still home. Were his wife and children there? Maia asked. Ranovasic raised an eyebrow. How did she know? No, ah, uh, no, they are safe in Montenegro, said the commander. What makes you think his wound was self inflicted? was her next question. Because he is a media hog, the commander said, with a snort. Who do you think is with him now? CNN he looked at Rinovich. Do you want to drive or walk, sir? Let us walk, Rinovich said. Please uh, lead the way, if you will, commander. Police in tactical gear milled about, as did Ivanovsky's neighbors. The policeman cleared the way for Rinovich, and he studied the house's exterior. Bullet marks on the front, windows smashed. Again, Rinovich longed for the forensic services Western police forces had, but the federal police paid more. Plenty of brass littered the street and sidewalk, but no one collected them. That would do no good with no way to compare them to a weapon. Rinovich trotted up the front stairs, Maia keeping pace. The commander ran up the stairs and opened the door for Rinovich. Inside the house was crowded, all men, and when they became aware of Maya, the hubbub of overlapping conversation ceased, and everyone looked at her, including Jovan Ivanovsky. Ivanovsky had movie star looks, a thick head of hair, a full, neatly trimmed beard, and shining blue eyes. A translator stood at his side, though he spoke excellent English. Ivanovsky had been speaking with a CNN reporter on camera, a homemade bandage circled his head at his forehead, a stain of blood no doubt caught by the camera. Ivanovsky murmured something to the reporter and headed for Rinovich. No, his eyes were on Maia. Rinovich looked at her as she gave Ivanovsky a shake of her head. Rinovich stepped forward and said, I am Commander vojislav Rinovich of the Belgrade Police Secretariat. I'll need to ask you some questions. Rinovich looked around. I'll need to question everyone who was present. You, he pointed to a man who hovered near Ivanovsky. I'll start with you. Ivanovsky turned to the man and nodded. Rinovich took the man by the elbow and headed for a corner of the room. Mai waited until Rinovich was deep in conversation with his witness and motioned Ivanovsky to another room of the house. He waved off his aides and led Mai down a hallway to an unoccupied room. Maia, he said, giving her a kiss on either cheek. Mai lifted the bandage and studied the deep scratch it covered. She switched to English. The police think you injured yourself. They would. "'I'm sure next they'll be saying I set this up myself. "'Anything not to have to investigate a crime "'committed by one of their sir-brothers.' "'What did happen?' Two cars, three men in each, "'opened up with AK-47s. "'We all hit the floor. "'The cut is probably from flying glass. "'Did you recognize anyone in the cars?' "'Oh, yes. "'A couple were off-duty police.' A couple others are locals we know well as Serb nationalists. Any strangers among them? One of my men upstairs watched from a window. Two he couldn't place. Krukats, expensive clothes. Russians. Ivanovsky frowned at her. Hard to tell. Do you think the Russians are working with the secret police? Not the government. Mercenaries, perhaps behind some of the recent murders of Milosevic's associates. Why why would they come after me? I'm definitely no friend of Milosevic. That would depend on who hired them. Or who did. That's what I'm trying to find out. I don't see Alexei with you. He's making contact with some Russians back in Starigrad. He looked toward the other room. And the Belgrade secretariat commander is helping you? He smiled at her. You always had a long reach. We're helping each other, Mai said. Well, some of my men chased down one of the cars. The three inside bolted. But they nabbed one of the local boys and turned him over to the police. They took him to the station, but you know how that goes. They'll release him. Unless something happens. Like what? What? "'Like the intervention of the commander of the Belgrade Secretariat. "'And you? "'What are you this time?' "'Observer, what I always am. "'Why don't you have a chat with the suspect "'so he'll give up the names of the other attackers? "'I've convinced CNN to hound the police. "'You and your shit friend from Belgrade question him, "'or I'll tell that reporter to say he's giving up the names "'of the would-be assassins. "'That's your cookies, Goose.' Would be assassins, Mai said. You're alive. Ivanovsky grinned at her. Assassin is so much more powerful. So you'll do it? Why else would I come all this way? All right, let's take a little break. Talk a little bit about the fact that Welcome to Belgrade is available for pre order for your Kindle. I'm pretty excited about that. This is a series that originally started as a single novel, and when it hit about 120,000 words and I realized there was a lot more to write, I decided it needed to be at most two books. And then I decided it would better it would be better to be a trilogy. And Each book is between 50 and 55,000 words. So together, all together, if that had been a single novel, that would have been pretty hefty. And I don't know about you, but as much as I love to read, a 150,000 word book would, would put me off. So it's a quick read. All three of them will be quick reads. And as you know, they're being what's called flash published. So Welcome to Belgrade comes out October 1st. Book two, Dangerous Truths, comes out on November 1st, and book three, And Justice for All, comes out on December 1st. Welcome to Belgrade can be pre-ordered at https colon slash, slash, tinyurl.com slash WTB pre The W is capitalized, the B is capitalized, and the P is capitalized. The second book, Dangerous Truths, will be ready for pre-order probably in the next couple of weeks. So when that is, I'll start talking about that, and I'll start reading from that probably in early October. All right, that's enough commercial. So we'll just, we'll move on quickly. I won't talk about too much more. I have to actually be up fairly early in the morning. I'm the major babysitter for my grandkids. And they've started school. I've happened to be in a state where we have had some significant COVID-19 hotspots. So their school for at least the first half of the year is all virtual. So I have a fourth grader in one room and a sixth grader in another room trying to oversee, making sure that they do their work and listen to their, either their recorded lessons or the teacher going live on Zoom to teach them a lesson. That's been very interesting and exhausting. I gave up teaching a long time ago for a reason, but it's been kind of fun watching them learn. All right, we'll get back to a couple more chapters of Welcome to Belgrade. Chapter 29, Under the Skin. Outside White Nights on the Sidewalk. Anatoly turned to Alexey and asked, "You have a car?" "Yes, down the street a bit. You'll follow us." "Tolya," Vanya said, stepping up beside Alexey. "You and Volodya are so drunk, it'll take you the rest of the night to find your way. I will ride with Alexey Nikolaevich so you do not get him lost." Tolya pondered a moment. "Fine." he said and got behind the wheel of the bmw an interesting turn of events alexei thought but smiled at vanya and motioned this way how well do you know belgrade vanya asked not well i know how to get to white knights from my hotel and back what more do i need alexei replied a lie of course He didn't know it like the back of his hand, but he had the map in his head. The younger Russians' directions were clipped, succinct, and after only a few turns, Alexei knew they were headed for the bridge, leading to New Belgrade and its waterfront. The industries there had taken a significant hit from NATO bombers the year before, and piles of debris almost made an obstacle course. Alexei kept his breathing even, and followed Vanya's directions as if he suspected nothing. Vanya directed him behind a large mound of debris, and Alexei put the car in park and kill the engine when instructed. The point of a knife pressed against the skin beneath his right ear. Hands at two and ten o'clock on the wheel, Vanya said, emphasizing his order with pressure from the knife. Alexei obeyed and remained still when Vanya reached under Alexei's coat and removed his gun. Vanya tossed the gun in the back seat and pulled the keys from the ignition, those he put in his jacket pocket. Alexei looked at Vanya and smiled. So, it seems we are at an impasse. Vanya snorted. What impasse, old veteran? I have a knife at your throat, and I am not afraid of you. A mistake. You should have already killed me. Alexei took Vanya's wrist and twisted the arm holding the knife behind the seat. Alexei's left hand closed on Vanya's throat, squeezing. Drop the knife and open your door, Alexei said. Vanya didn't move, and Alexei tightened his grip. Vanya's eyes widened and the knife plunked against the floor mats. Vanya's free hand fumbled for the door handle. The door opened and Alexei pushed Vanya out. Alexei was out of the car and around to the passenger side before Vanya gained his feet, another knife in hand. He grinned at Alexei and dropped into a fighting crouch. I always carry two. A single overhead light to find the small arena for this fight. Not taking his eyes from Vanya as they circled each other, Alexei tossed aside his overcoat and suit jacket. He unsnapped his empty shoulder holster and shrugged out of it. A breeze off the Danube cooled the adrenaline sweat beneath his shirt. "'I don't want to kill you, Salagi,' Alexei said, calling Vanya the army slang for a raw recruit. "'Why not?' I want to kill you, because I want to get you in a room with special tools where I make you tell me what I want to know. (laughs) You soft old man, you should have killed me already, Vanya said laughing. He lunged with the knife and Alexei backstepped, but kept the man in front of him. Vanya charged, slashing with the knife, but slicing only air. He fainted with the knife and front kicked instead, but Alexei blocked that. Blocking was about all he could hope to do. He was in good shape, yes, but taking on a man half his age, one-on-one, was out of the question. A lucky punch or kick to stun him, and Alexei would truss him up and dump him in the trunk. Back at Mai's house, he could indulge himself in a little old-fashioned KGB-style interrogation. Another kick blocked. Another lunge of the knife eluded. I fight like I fuck, Vanya said, all night. You are already winded, old man. Alexei's longer arm scored a solid punch to Vanya's jaw, and he reeled backwards, arms pinwheeling to keep his balance. Alexei closed in, got both hands on the wrist with the knife, but Vanya jerked free and slashed. Alexei backed away. He didn't need to look. The pain that tore through his body told him where the knife had cut and how deep. Vanya's grin spread. You are done for, old man. No, Alexei thought. Time to see if there's one final spinning back kick in me. Fists at chef's level, he shifted to present his side to Vanya, spun and kicked Vanya in his mouth. A crunch of mandible and maxilla told Alexei the kick was perfect, and he resumed his defensive position, pain now like fire in every part of his body. Vanya didn't stay down. Blood dripping from his mouth, he got to his hands and knees. He laughed and spoke, the broken bones and missing teeth making him difficult to understand, but it cut through Alexei's pain. When I'm done with you... I'll find that cunt Irina and have some fun with her. A surge of adrenaline pushed away the pain. Two strides and Alexei brought a leg down on Vanya's back. His already damaged face smacked the concrete. Alexei straddled Vanya's back, took Vanya's head in his hands and twisted. Cartilage, muscle and sinew all gave and the smashed face looked at Alexei surprise frozen on the features. Alexei let the head strike the pavement again and rolled off the body. He sat on the concrete trying to slow his breathing and heartbeat because blood pulsed with each beat. He pulled his shirt free from his trousers and looked at the wound and wished he hadn't. Don't panic, he said aloud. He pressed his forearm tight against the wound. Can't go into shock. A body, he thought. What do I do with it? Leave it here? Call the police? No, police. Too many questions. Arm tight against his side, he managed to get to his feet. Head swimming, he bent down, grasped the body by the shirt collar. He dragged it to the boot of the car. Keys. Where the fuck were the keys? He started to pat his pockets, but remembered Vanya had taken them. He dropped the body and flopped to his knees beside it. He rifled through the pockets until he found the keys. Again, he staggered to his feet and opened the trunk with the fob. Alexei looked at the trunk, at the body, at the trunk. Fuck. It was going to take both hands to get the body in the trunk teeth clenched to hold in his scream. He picked the body up by collar and belt and hoisted it into the trunk. The body landed on its side, face twisted toward the front of the car. Arm pressed against the wound again, he gathered his overcoat, jacket, holster, and the bloody knife. He covered the body with the coat and dumped everything else atop it. He slammed the trunk closed, leaned against the car, hunched over, Sweat dripping from his face, like the blood from his chest. What now? Yes, call my. Damn, he muttered aloud again. His cell phone was in the overcoat pocket. He looked at his bloody, empty hands. No keys. What the hell had he done with the keys? Dropped them in the trunk? Shivering overtook him no he said he needed to clean his wound get some sort of dressing on it there was a first aid kit in the car somewhere he had to find the keys water if he could find water clean the wound clear his head water he needed water he looked around saw nothing he laughed, stopping when it hurt. Globier durak he murmured, stupid fool. He stood on the quay of one of Europe's largest rivers. He used his free hand to press his arm tighter against the wound and stumble toward the bulkhead. Fifteen feet below him, a walkway and another bulkhead. The water lapped against the lower bulkhead. To his right, there, a ladder. Alexei half slid, half fell down the ladder and crawled to the water's edge. He leaned over, cupping water in his right hand and tipping it onto the wound. That soothed for only a few moments before he started shivering again, more intense this time. When he leaned forward for more water, blackness tunneled in and gravity took over, pulling him into the dark waters of the Danube. Okay, I think we'll stop there on that cliffhanger note, see what's going to happen next time. I want to thank everyone for listening. My numbers are increasing every week. That's really, really cool. So I appreciate all the attention people have been paying to the podcast and I'll keep doing them. I kind of find them fun. I know I'm still not the most professional at this. I'm still trying really hard to deliver a good product, and I'll keep trying hard, and I hope it will keep improving. And I'm thankful that you're hanging in there for this process. It means a lot to me. So we'll see you next week. Same time, same place. I almost said same time, same bat channel, but that'll date me <laughs> too too much. So see you next week. Thanks again for listening. And remember, keep an eye out for spies. This has been a production of Unexpected Paths Radio, copyright 2020, all rights reserved.